We won't even be close. I'm sorry. We won't even come close to finishing the book of Obadiah tonight. It is only one chapter. It is. All right. You guys tell me when you're ready. I just can't, I really can't talk over you, so when you're ready, then we'll start. All right, let's start with prayer and we'll uh, jump into this. Father, we're so grateful for the, for your word that you've given us such that we can know you. It's a privilege and yet uh, it's our greatest responsibility in life, but it's the greatest joy that we can ever know is knowing our creator. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for your word in which you teach us, you help us to know who you are, what you're like, what you've done throughout history. Thank you most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made the way. He's the author and the finisher of our faith so that we could have a personal relationship with you through Christ. We're grateful for this truth and we commit to you this study of Obadiah. We pray that you would bless it. We pray that you would teach us um, through this often forgotten book. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by uh, some surveys, have you, any of you ever heard of the website BibleGateway.com? Okay, it's, uh, one, uh, it's a good online Bible. One, uh, I was reading one article on the book of Obadiah, but this guy was talking about it. And so, you guys, take a guess. What would you say? From all 66 books of the Bible, what would you say you would guess would be maybe the least popular book of the Bible? Obadiah. Okay, Obadiah. Haggai. Ezekiel. Amos. All right. Most of the minor prophets are high up there, aren't they? Jonah is probably the one minor prophet that's the exception. We know that one pretty well. Hosea is sometimes uh, the second. Malachi. Yeah. The ones that have messianic prophecies like Malachi and Micah, they're a little more often quoted. Any other guesses at the least popular book of the Bible? Zach? Joel? Hosea? You guys literally just named off all minor prophets so far. Nathan? Malachi, Ezekiel. Maybe Leviticus. Yeah. So Leviticus, a lot of... Did you say Titus, John? Yeah. Titus Philemon. Mr. Peter named Leviticus. A lot of times, if someone were going to guess the least popular book of the Bible, um, probably the minor prophets are going to be up there, and then Leviticus is going to be on your list. A lot of times. Maybe not on your list. That's okay. Um... From Bible Gateway, the statistics are Obadiah is the least popular book of the Bible. So I found that interesting. Partly because it's a very short book. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only one chapter long, so or one chapter short, rather. It's a very short book. It doesn't have any um, specific prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. So it's not often referenced, um, which is part of why I chose it, because I thought, that was what, that's kind of what we said back a couple months ago when we talked about doing a minor prophet study was so that we could get familiar with the part of our Bible that we didn't know very well. Did your pages stick together getting to Obadiah? No. 
one of my old pastors used to call it the clean, just that area of the clean pages of your Old Testament. It's not very often studied, but there's a lot of good to study here. But here's the thing. I want to start tonight just with an overview and an introduction to the prophets in general, because our culture, we're not really familiar necessarily even with what prophets are. We don't talk a lot about that in 21st century America. So I want to introduce us to some of the cultural concepts around the prophets and just what all is going on. So, but first, see, it's cracking. But first, let's just read through the book of Obadiah and start to, um, start to familiarize ourselves with it. So Obadiah, beginning in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah... Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. So we just, four verses, God is speaking. He is speaking against Edom, which if you remember, Edom is from Esau. That's the nation that came from Esau, Jacob's brother. And he is saying, because of their pride and their arrogance, God is going to bring them low. Though they dwell in the rocks, up in a high, secure place, God's going to bring them low. Verse 5. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So there's a little historical note. We'll talk more about it as we get there. But did you notice, specifically, Edom did something against their brother Jacob, against Israel. And that is why God is giving this message of condemnation against Edom. You following that so far? Verse 11. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have looked on the day of your brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, you should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither should you have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. Your reward shall return upon your own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. And then he transitions. 
But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. And here's one of the key verses, the, the very end of verse 21. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's kind of the key theme of the book of Obadiah. The kingdom will be the Lord's. The kingship belongs to the Lord. So we have a, this is a little bit of a different kind of book to study, isn't it? It seems a little foreign, a little bit complex, trying to understand what's all going on. So we'll take our time, we'll go through it. It may be able to take us maybe six weeks to go through. We won't drag it out too long. But don't worry. There's 21 verses. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, don't worry. But, we're, so we're going to work through this. Um, but tonight, I just want to give us a little bit of introduction to the idea of the prophets. So first of all, what in our English Bibles do we consider the prophets? Somebody help us. Cole? Okay, so Elijah would be a prophet. Yep. Let me specify my question. Specifically, what books of the Bible do we consider the capital P prophets? Anybody know? John? Okay. But then First and Second Chronicles is after that. Are those considered the prophets? After that's Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezekiel? Jonah is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everything after That's right. So in our English Bibles, it goes from Isaiah to Malachi is what we would consider the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are often referred to as what we would call the major prophets. And then... After Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea through Malachi are often considered the minor prophets. And it's major versus minor not because of importance or prominence of themes. Rather, they're called the major and the minor due to length. If you just open your Bibles and look at the difference between the length of a book like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those books are incredibly massive. Some of the biggest books of your Bible. Actually, Jeremiah is the longest book of your Bible by word count. But, even longer than Psalms, by word count. Yeah, it's huge. But, at the same time, the minor prophets, we have little tiny ones, like Obadiah, 21 verses long. Ezekiel? You said Ezekiel was a major and a minor prophet. I think I don't know if I said that. If I did, I was wrong. Ezekiel is a major prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are the major prophets. And then Hosea through Malachi are the minor prophets. It's 
big. Sorry if I misspoke, Ezekiel. Thanks for clarifying that. Interestingly enough, um, the Hebrew order of the scripture actually ordered the books of the Old Testament differently. They had what, um, and it's debated a little bit, but a lot of people tend to think of them, it was divided into three sections, because our Old Testament, we have um, several sections. The law, the history, the history being Joshua through Second Chronicle, uh, well, through Nehemiah. We have the poetry, which is Job through Song of Solomon, and then the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi. So we have four divisions. The Old Testament, the Hebrews tended to have two or sometimes three. So Jesus, he actually referred to that in, for instance, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, excuse me, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So you see there, there's the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, or what would often be called the writings. So the Torah is Genesis through Deuteronomy. And Torah just means instruction. It's the law of Moses, we often know it by. And it's incredibly important. Lord willing, here's my goal for our studies in the future. We want to work through Obadiah, do some more Q&A, then we'll finish the book of Romans. But after Romans, we're going to head toward Deuteronomy. That's our goal. We want to go and do Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy encapsulates a lot of the principles of the Torah so that we can begin to understand the way that Israel related with God. It's a lot different than our modern context we tend to think. Adrian? Isn't Deuteronomy mean the second giving of the law? That's what Deuteronomy means, yeah. Yep. So we have Torah that gives a picture of a covenant relationship between Israel and God. God was the king, and he covenanted to care for Israel, but their responsibility was loyal, obedient worship of Yahweh. But we'll go and look at it hopefully tonight. If Israel refused and disobeyed and were disloyal to God, instead of blessing, they would experience curses. Which brings us to the prophets. Sometimes in the Hebrew, it's called the Nevi'im. Um, what the prophets were doing is calling attention to what God had said. Israel, you've been disloyal to God. You're coming upon curses. You're in danger. Turn back, repent, obey God. And if they didn't, then there's oracles of destruction, like Obadiah, which Obadiah is not even to Israel, it's to Edom. It's saying that Edom's going to face destruction because of their violence against God's people, Israel. But it all comes from the idea of what God told Abraham. Remember, he said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. So we're just trying to understand the big principles of the Old Testament. And then there's the Ketuvim. So the prophets in the Hebrew order didn't just include what we consider the prophets. It included those, Isaiah through Malachi, but also Joshua, Judges, the Samuels, and the Kings. James? Uh, just a question. Did some of the uh, stuff that the Obadiah says already happened? Like, besides the, when they're getting, when Jerusalem gets captured? Maybe. That's what we need to go and look at. Ah. Yeah. So it'll be a fun study. But then we have the Ketuvim, the writings. That's Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Chronicles. That was a mouthful. So just realize there was a different order to the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, 
it was actually kind of a cool order because it flowed from God's law, his covenant with his people, into the prophets, and then the, the writings comes and it's meditating on what it would look like if Israel did what God had said. Like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk with sinners, but delights in the law of the Lord. So, some general thoughts on the prophets. Um, it's the largest section of the scripture, interestingly enough, especially by the Hebrew count, if you include um, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and what we consider the prophets. That's a massive section of the scripture. It's huge. And it's very important. Um, but realizing part of that, remember, we just said Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings were included in the prophets. What books talk about guys like Elijah and Elisha? Exactly. First and second Kings. So you see those books, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, those are talking about what were referred to as the former prophets. And then we have the latter prophets, what we often call the prophets. And those are also known as the writing prophets. In other words, we have a book named after them, whereas there's no book called Elijah. Are you following me? This is just some introductory information to help prime our pumps because prophecy is a little bit foreign to the way we think. How would you define prophecy? Adrian? Um, prophecy is a prediction of the future that is happily veiled, and some of it you know, but the rest is kind of cloudy. Okay, prediction of the future, sometimes veiled. Some of it you may know, some of it might be cloudy. How else would you define prophecy? John? Prediction. Okay. Prediction. Nathan? Nice. John? 100% accurate prediction. Okay, 100% accurate prediction. We're going to talk about that. So, go ahead, Nathan. All right, James? Well, um, this is just my view on it. Uh, prophecy is, true prophecy, I feel like, is basically what, telling people what God told you. Boom. That's a really good way to say it. True prophecy is telling people what God told you. So in other words, the prophets of old, they were not just predicting the future. We call that foretelling. But a lot of the books of the prophets are actually primarily forthtelling. In other words, they're calling people to look back to the law of Moses. They're reminding people of what God already said. So there's a distinction between foretelling, what we might call like preaching, taking the text and reminding people of it. And then they also did foretell the future. They predicted things. So here's a definition of prophecy, an inspired proclamation of God's message. In other words, the message is from God. It's inspired by God. And then the prophet's job is to deliver the message. Does that make sense? So the role of the prophet, um, <clears throat> there's four main Hebrew words. I won't bore you with them. But they're often translated prophet. Then there's one that's translated the man of God. And then there's two, um, two different Hebrew words, both translated seer. A seer. And that, um, 1 Samuel 9.9 9 actually talks about that. 
that the old term was seer, and then by that time of Samuel, they called it a prophet. Jake? Sorry? That's a good question. So I'll jump down in our notes to answer that. Um, prophet, the role of a prophet was actually, a, it was not unique to Israel. So a true prophet has to be a prophet of the one true God. So if it was a nation who didn't worship the one true God, they weren't a true prophet. But, yeah. So it's actually, um, Scripture talks Several places, like Exodus chapter 7, remember the competition between Moses and the sorcerers of Egypt? They were false prophets. Um, there's false prophets all over the place, in the Old Testament as well as the New. But we'll go and look at the test of a true prophet in just a second. But yes, it was actually more, a lot more common than today. There were prophets for all the, many of the nations, like Phoenicia, Egypt, etc. Colton? Yeah, incredible. S hundreds of years before the prophecies about Messiah who would come and suffer and die and rise from the dead. So one thing important about a prophet, you didn't volunteer for the role of a prophet. You didn't just wake up one morning and be like, hey, I think I want to be a prophet. On the contrary, a prophet was one who was called by God. Actually, one of the Hebrew words, um, nabi, it means prophet, and it comes from a root word that has the idea of to be called. So a prophet is someone called by God. In other words, tasked by God to deliver this message. You didn't get to just volunteer as a prophet. Um, but then, oh, let's see. Let's, excuse me. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll spend the rest of our time in Deuteronomy to, well, yeah, Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 18. Because the role of a prophet, there were prophets prior to, uh, prior to Moses. But Moses is the first of the prophets in the way that we typically think of them. But, for instance, Abel is called a prophet. Um, Noah was a prophet. Abraham was a prophet, etc. So, there were individuals before Moses, but the role was really established with Moses. So let me see here. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's look verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Remember, Israel said, we're scared of God. How about he speaks to you, Moses, and then you just tell us what he says. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So pause there. This was important 
Moses said, I'm not the only prophet. There are going to come prophets after me. And Moses spoke of a greater prophet than he. Realize Moses was the greatest prophet of Israel until Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself, multiple times, called himself a prophet. He was the last of the prophets of this idea. But then we have a different concept of prophets in the New Testament. Here's what it meant to be a prophet. They were an authoritative spokesman for God. Similar to what we might think of as power of attorney or like a foreign ambassador. A foreign ambassador goes to a foreign country and they have the unique responsibility to speak with a foreign entity on behalf of the United States of America. They're not America themselves, but they represent us. That was the job of the prophet. The prophet was an authoritative spokesperson on behalf of God. God gave them a message and they declared that message because it was from God. And therefore, they were authoritative. Similarly, that's the power of attorney. Um, when we moved here from Iowa, we had to sign power of attorney over to a lawyer in Iowa because our house hadn't yet sold and we didn't want to have to travel back to Iowa for closing to sign all the papers. So we gave a lawyer the responsibility and the authority to sign on our behalf. So he signed all of our papers. Does that make sense? That's what a power of attorney does. They have the ability and the authority to make decisions and to speak on behalf of another. Does that make sense? That's what a prophet had. They spoke on behalf of God. That's a big responsibility. So a couple more thoughts. The test of a prophet. Um, look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 now. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, God says, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is important. A true prophet of the one true God must have a 100% accuracy rate. If they make one prediction that does not come to pass, they're a liar and they're not one of God's prophets. That was crucial to understand. Um, you could go and look back, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, talks about another test of the true prophet. A true prophet leads people toward the one true God. If they start claiming to prophesy and it's about other gods, they're lying. They're not a prophet of God. And then finally, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, um, it says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, when a prophet comes along, what they prophesy has to align with previous revelation. Does that make sense? In other words, when Elijah comes along, his prophecies had to line up with what Moses already said. Otherwise, he was lying. And the same as you go prophet by prophet, because God's not a God of confusion. So if they're his true prophet, all of their prophecies are going to sink. They're going to align with one another. Does that make sense? That's important as we go and, uh, and look at the prophets. And it's important because some people believe that there's such a thing as prophecy today. So you can go and think on that and study it. But if someone claims to prophesy in the name of God, you have to ask the question, do all of their prophecies come true? And you also have to ask the question, 
do all of their prophecies align with what Scripture already says? Zach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are quite a few. Absolutely. James? So if you read the Bible on one page, uh, reading a certain chapter of the prophecy that hasn't happened yet, like say you're telling everybody about uh, Revelation, would you be considered a prophet even though you're reading from the book that was already told about the prophecy to other people? That's a good question. So in the non-technical sense, yeah, you're a prophet in that you're forth-telling or you're preaching or telling what God already said. But in the technical sense of a prophet, no, because you're not an authoritative spokesperson for God. You cannot give new revelation. Does that make sense? That's the difference. The prophet was not just someone who tells what God said, but they spoke on God's behalf. Authoritatively. They could write scripture, in other words. So there's your introduction of the prophets. Any other questions before we call it quits tonight? So we'll pick it up, Lord willing, next week in the book of Obadiah. We'll do our introduction to Obadiah and start getting acquainted with the book. Sound good? I'm excited for this study. I think it'll be fun. Okay. Father, thanks so much for this evening. And for the truth of your word, thank you that there were true prophets who gave us the scripture such that now we still know what you said. What a privilege it is to hold in our hands an ancient book that yet speaks today. We give thanks to you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.